0: Together for a moment. Lord God, in the preaching of Jonah and in the preaching of Jesus, you have shown your compassion on those you have made. Show compassion on us, we pray, and give us to understand your word that we may have words of life to take to others, we pray. Amen. Do please go back to the book of Jonah. As I said earlier, that's the uh, book in which we find ourselves at the moment. Page 928. We don't seem to hear a great deal about Nineveh in the Bible, and because we don't hear about it, we may think that it's not all that important. We hear, for example, about Babylon, but Nineveh was much, much bigger than Babylon. It was a far more important city, and it lasted for far longer than Babylon. It was, by biblical standards, absolutely gigantic. It was so big that it was all of three times the size of Norwich. That is gigantic, by biblical standards. If you have a very long memory, and you've lived in Norwich for a long time, you may remember the days, obviously I I don't, when the uh, inner city inside the walls of Norwich was absolutely cram packed with people. That was certainly the case in Nineveh, and you can get a lot of people into a city three times the size of Norwich. But in fact, it actually had almost exactly the same population as Norwich does now. We're told elsewhere that it had a population of about 120,000. We're told that at the end of the book. Well, the last figure I could find for Norwich is that it has 119,000 adults, so it's kind of about the same. Jonah, if you've uh, not uh, been with us or if if you're not familiar with the story, Jonah has been told to go to Nineveh and take with him a message of judgment from God. He goes in directly the opposite direction because he wants to run away from the face of God, and God appoints a large fish to come and swallow him up. The fish takes him where he should have gone in the first place and spits him out onto the land. And that's where our story picks up today. I don't know whether it's because he's been inside at the belly of the fish uh, for a few days, but um, you'd have to reckon that Jonah is particularly miserable Uh, when he actually finally turns up in Nineveh. Verse uh, three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Well, that's good. He was finally going where he should go. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, if Jonah was Isaiah, there would be chapters of what what, uh, Jonah had to say, wouldn't there? But actually, in the original, it's even less than that. There are only five words in all that Jonah says to the city of Nineveh. I imagine he must have stood at a number of street corners and said it. Uh, All he says is, 40 more days, Nineveh overturned. And I kind of imagine him standing at the street corner with God almost having to prise open his mouth just to get those few words out he's feeling thoroughly hacked off. He's not going to go for the long pages and pages that an Isaiah would have done or a Jeremiah or an Ezekiel. He can barely get the words out, you assume. Forty more days in Nineveh over time. That's all they get. That is all we're told that Nineveh is open to from God's word. And then, the Ninevites believed God, verse 5. I reckon that is an astounding sentence. The Ninevites believed God. Not believed in God, but believed God. Imagine, Imagine a churchyard, and you and I have all got our headstones in this churchyard. That's right. It's going to be a happy thought. Don't worry. Um, but imagine if it just said, "Richard Beach believed God." Uh, Maya Tolbert and her dates. Maya Tolbert believed God. Fiona Durban and her dates believed God. Wouldn't that be an incredible witness? Just a churchyard full of people who believed God. Let me give you a little little quiz. This phrase only happens one other time in the Bible. Okay, i will say "times." a bit of a trick question. Who can tell me what they reckon the other time is that we hear believed God? It's only a bit of a trick question. Jonathan? It's, um, when Abraham believes the, um, yep. That is the only other time you get anyone believing God in Scripture. Now, I said time because we actually get references to it in Romans and Galatians and James. But the reference is quite clear. It looks back and it says, therefore it is written, Abraham believed God. That's how extraordinary what is going on in Nineveh is. It's the only other time. It's comparable, in other words to the other time that someone believed God. The Ninevites believed God. They've got Jonah standing in front of them, going, 40 more days, Ninevites overturned. And they believed God. And what does it produce for them? Well, we read. They declared a fast. They put on sackcloth. The king rises from his throne... Took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. When a king in those days rises from their throne, uh, they they are being king while they are on their throne. So for him to rise from his throne and sit in sackcloth, apart from anything else, is an acknowledgement that there's another king here. Uh, And he issues a proclamation Don't let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything, don't let them eat or drink. Let them be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger. Interesting that he he knew. He didn't say, let us give up our ways. He knew exactly the people he was in charge of. He says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. He knew the character of the city of which he was king. He knew that it was a byword for uh, oppression and violence, as indeed it was. It was one of those cities erected on the uh, uh, back-breaking, slave-driving labor of thousands of thousands of slaves, many of whom would have been killed. There are pictures of thousands and thousands of slaves dragging statues up a ramp. The kind of thing that you imagine back in the days of the pyramids. But he declares fasting and prayer, that they are to renounce their evil ways and violence. And in the face of that, perhaps God, just the name notice, perhaps God, He's not messing around now with any of the Ninevite names of God or any of the Ninevite gods, because there were many of them. He just acknowledges the one God. Perhaps God will have compassion. I wonder if there is in Scripture any time when so little effort produces such a great response. God does indeed have compassion on them. And his compassion averts the destruction that uh, Jonah has promised. Uh, what happened? Well, according to, uh, according to the text, God has that compassion. He gave the Ninevites faith to believe in him. We have to say he gave them the faith because surely it is quite impossible that anyone uh, in a city like Nineveh is going to listen to Jonah reluctantly proclaiming his five words. And on any human basis, can it be uh, normal or reasonable for them to turn to God, for completely to overturn the ways of their city? This is a gift from God. This is a gift out of his compassion that they, they change. Are there any stronger illustrations in the whole of Scripture of the power of evangelism, living not in the words that we use, not in the willingness to do it, because Jonah had run away and was only reluctantly back now on the shores. There is here no miracle notice. Jonah doesn't do anything, just speaks five words. So, um, uh resonant was that fact that Jesus uh, recalls it a couple of times and says to the people around him, you're all looking for a miracle, but you're not going to get a miracle except the sign of Jonah. And the men of Nineveh repented at the sign of Jonah without anything but the preaching of Jonah. They, re- he re- they repented at the preaching of Jonah, says Jesus. God, when you think of how insignificant Jonah is, really, with his five words, God could have done all that he did without Jonah, couldn't he? And had Jonah done an Isaiah and gone on for hours, God could have ensured that it made no difference at all. It could have been one of those moments that, where God says, you can preach it, but they're not going to listen. He says that a few times. So, there's something quite mysterious about this moment in which Jonah says so little, but it has such an enormous effect. And it stays a mystery. It is never unraveled for us, it's never resolved for us. There is always a mystery in the true work of God. Let me tell you of a friend of mine called Jerry. We were at university uh, together, and Jerry was not a Christian. We uh, had rooms close to each other in college. Jerry was not a Christian. He was studying English, as I was. And so I worked very hard to explain to him from literature how believing in Jesus was perfectly reasonable, how you could go to people in literature, how you could construct narrative the way Scripture does, and that sort of made uh, Scripture more believable. I took Jerry to really, really top-quality speaker meetings. And uh, it made absolutely no difference. I was incredibly frustrated. I told him my own story. I told him the story of lots of really famous people. I told him why it made sense within his discipline that uh, he should become a Christian. And none of it made a blind bit of difference. And then we went to another speaker meeting. And I heard what I think is possibly the worst evangelistic address I have ever heard in my life. Uh, Absolutely shot through with cliches, uh, repetition, um, really very, very poor quality from someone who could have been a good speaker, but I think probably was on his last legs after a long tour. And uh, because it was our custom, if we'd gone to one of these things you know, to have a cup of coffee back somewhere, I said to Jerry afterwards, well, what should we do now? Uh, Or no, I I said, what do you want to do now? And he said, well, I think I better become a Christian, don't you? (laughs) I was so cross. (laughs) And and over time, we kind of worked it through, and I I would say to him, why did it make a difference that night? I want to know. And he said, I don't know. Just did it. All fell into place. There is a mystery when we speak of Jesus Christ. When we speak of God's compassion, we may feel sometimes that we make no more sense than if we were saying forty more days and never overturned. We speak the message not because it is bound to be effective but because for some reason, in his own goodness, God wants us involved. He delights for us to be involved. We don't know why God chooses to work that way, but he does. He involves us. What is achieved in Nineveh by Jonah himself? One can only assume very little. But the story is told as the story of Jonah, not the story of Nineveh, because actually we're going to find out this week, and more particularly next week, of what God did in Jonah to remind him of that theme that Maya brought out for us last week, of God's goodness and grace to people who are not like us. We will meet Jonah's extreme displeasure at what God has done. And and that is what will matter in this whole story. When you and I are asked by God to go out into the harvest field, when we pray for workers to be sent into the harvest field, as Jesus told us to do, it is not so that we can go out and say, well, amongst my friends, the most likely people are A, E, F, and P, So I'll talk to them, because those are likely. Again and again, there are stories of those who spoke to A, E, F, and P, and it made no difference at all. But they just happened to have dropped an odd comment to another friend, and it made all the difference in the world. We do not control how the good news operates. Any more than Jonah could control things in Nineveh. Uh, There was a miracle in one sense. Nineveh turned to God on the basis of tiny material to go on. So amongst other things, what it is for us is a lesson not to be predictive about our friends, not to say, well, here is my life. I'm going to talk here, here, and here because that's where it's most likely to work. Jonah is a story for us. Go wherever you like. Say whatever you can because God is the one who can turn around a city the size of Norwich on the basis of five words. And if he can do that in Nineveh, then I assume he can do it in in a city the size of Norwich. I I confess my own failure to believe that very often. But I can't see any other alternative as a conclusion from this story. We pray for workers in the harvest, as the, the gospel reading that John offered Uh, asked us and, and commanded us to, not because they or we will achieve very much by ourselves, but because God has done the work, and it is simply his pleasure to allow us to be involved. Let's pray together. Lord, we we read such great results from such small input. And it is inexplicable unless you are behind it. Give us the courage, we pray, to offer what may seem to us the little that we have to offer. Simply because it is your pleasure for us to do so. And then amaze us, we pray, as men and women and boys and girls turn to Jesus Christ. Not always amongst those we've predicted, but from those who may surprise us. And as they surprise us, may bear witness to your extraordinary mercy and compassion. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.